Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Happy to be with you today again, and thank you for tuning in. We'd like to proceed again with another Bible study, which is very important, I believe. And this is the rhythm of rest. I'd like to welcome the panel today. And I'll start with Brenton. Good to have you with us, Brenton. Thank you, Nick. I'm really looking forward to uh, sharing this wonderful, wonderful message. Will, it's good to have you with us today also. It's always refreshing to be around the open word of God. Thank you, Nick. And Joe, thank you for joining us. Delighted to be here. Ken, good to have you part of this panel. Thank you, Nick. It's wonderful to be here today and really excited about this excellent study we have today. And Len, thank you for uh, your presence because you are also our facilitator today. Welcome to the program. Thank you for your welcome, Nick, and hello, listeners. As I mentioned, this is a very important uh, study, I believe, for us all, and we like to share with our listeners uh, as much as possible during this hour. Please stay with us. And Len, over to you. Thank you. Well, listeners, today, as you've already heard, we're studying the subject of rhythms of rest, and every human being needs rest. Our hearts beat and they're pumping and receiving blood, but between every compression, there's a moment of relaxation. So it's pump, rest, pump, rest. And the same goes with the lungs, as the diaphragm muscles contract and then relax. Most of us have experienced aching muscles from a build-up of lactic acid, from intense prolonged activity where we're unable to rest. Sleep rest is an important part of having good health and proper mental function. God designed human beings to have rhythms, including rhythms of activity and rest. The circadian rhythm is a 24-hour rhythm. Um, Activity, sleep, activity and sleep. And then there are monthly rhythms known as infradian rhythms. And human beings are also influenced by a seven-day biological rhythm known as the circuseptum rhythm. This week, our discussion revolves around the circuseptum seven-day rhythm. But before, before we launch into this subject, we would like you to join us in prayer. Thank you, Brenton. Father in heaven, we thank you that um, we are aware of these rhythms. We thank you that in your wisdom, when you created us, you set aside the seventh day for us to keep holy because you knew, knew we needed physical rest, but you also knew that we needed this special time to know you better as our creator. Thank you for this opportunity today to share this wonderful truth with others And we ask, Lord, that this message will strike deep into the hearts of our listeners in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brenton. You know, listeners, as Christians, it's important to recognise that mankind, along with all of the physical and biological world, did not simply evolve. Instead, 
The Bible teaches that the universe, including planet Earth, came about through a deliberate act of God, the Creator. So, Ken, when God created the Earth, what was his own assessment of his work? Well, then, as we look at uh, Genesis chapter 1, and verses 9, 12, 18, 25, and 31, we start off and we see that when God made the water, at the end of that first verse, he said, and God saw that it was good. And also in chapter, uh, verse 12, when he produced vegetables and plants, and God said, that was good. And all the way through, did we get to 31? And all that he had made, and it was very good, and the evening and the morning was the sixth day. So here we see all that God had made was very good. This is an important statement because at this stage, there were no problems in the earth, no disease, sickness, excessive heat or rain, no hurricanes, floods. Everything was perfect and in harmony. And I also believe it is interesting to note that in this particular verse, it ends on, and this was the sixth day. All right. Well, this is a completely opposite view than the very popular one which is peddled in the media and in universities and schools and things. The theory of evolution goes from supposedly uh, simple to complex, from bad, if you like, to good. But when God created the world, he made it good. He made it very good. So when God created man, Will, what was different between human beings or from human beings to other creatures? Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, the very opening chapter of the Scriptures, God sets things uh, straight. He says, let us make man in our image. And, of course, this means that man has a noble heritage um, Len, despite the claims of evolutionary theory, humans do not find their origin in microorganisms, in mud pools. Instead, they are the only beings who are fashioned in the likeness of God. It's uh, profound, I know. But this does not mean that we are in all ways identical to him in physical form and nature and so on. But we do know that Jesus is a good earthly representation of our heavenly father, echoing his answer to Philip that uh, if we have seen him, that's Jesus, we have seen the father. I'd like to point out that some physical features are actually referred to in the scriptures. Second uh, Chronicles 16 verse 9 says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro. Isaiah 59 1, The Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot save. Isaiah 40 verse 5 says, The mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And uh, finally, John says in 1 John 3 verse 2, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. That's important. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So in short, we are the only creatures made in the image of God, and God wants to perfect that image, especially 
for eternity. Yes, thank you, Will. When you think about it, anybody who's written a family history or you're aware of your family history and you can trace back through your family, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, and keep on going, as far as the Bible is concerned, we can go right back to Adam and Eve who were made in the image of God. But if you hold the evolution theory and you go right back to your great, 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 how many greats we don't really know, the theory is that you would become some sort of um, protoplasm in a pool of mud or something like that. It's not a very noble heritage when you think about it. But as far as Christianity is concerned, we believe and I believe we have good reason to accept that we were made in the image of God and we also have a noble heritage. Well, now, something happened in uh, with our first parents. And, Joe, perhaps you would explain what actually happened and what was given to man at the time of creation. Well, then, at the beginning of creation, man was given a garden which he could... Um, wander through and eat the choicest of fruits. However, in the middle of the garden, there was a tree of, which was called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God specifically addressed them saying, from Genesis, we could say, uh, could quote, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, God didn't address any of the other you know, any other creature, he did not address the animals. He spoke to man, and man was different to the animals. He had a sense of right and wrong. He, had, he was given a freedom of choice. As was already mentioned, he was created in God's own image and could be reasoned with and had higher powers of intelligence and understanding, able to express complex concepts and so forth. We know what the differences are. And so God speaks to man and says, This is, you can have everything, you could eat everything that is good to eat that I have provided for you, but you must not touch this uh, tree in the center of the garden. And so, yeah, that was basically the only prohibition, if you like, for man. Yes, and that involved the freedom of choice. If God didn't provide that tree and there was no freedom of choice, then we'd be nothing more than puppets. Brenton. Yeah. Interestingly enough, um, one of the two verses that Joe referred to, it's either verse 15 or 16, it it gives you an understanding of what um, we would call today the CV that Adam and Eve had. Their CV was, we are told, to tend and keep the garden. Now, I'm not so interested in the first one, tend, but I am interested in the second point. Uh, the second point is that uh, the ten, uh, the keeping is similar to the term used in Hebrew for what the uh, priests did in looking after the tabernacle and their priestly duties. 
What this presupposes, um, Len, it doesn't make much sense telling people that you can eat of every fruit of the tree of the garden, but you can't eat of one, and if you do, you will die. There must have been some idea that the Bible is hinting at here that Adam and Eve knew about the devil and about evil, and therefore they knew that this word keep, God was asking them to not only um, look after it in the sense of tending the plants and that sort of thing, but to keep it, to keep it in the state in which he had created it. I find that actually very interesting. That is a very interesting thought. Yes, Ken? I just wanted to add to that that perhaps maybe some people reading this may think, well, there wasn't many trees in the garden eat, maybe short of food, but I actually believe the garden is full of all sorts of fascinating food. Yes, (laughs) It would have been uh, very nice to have been there and seen it and tasted those fruits. Now, one of the reasons why we're talking about this and that God made provision for man, that God made man in his own image, he also made man with the freedom to choose to have morals, is leading up to something that came after the sixth day of creation. Now, Nick, how long did the creation of the world take and what happened on the last day? Len, that's a big question uh, to start with because, as you mentioned a bit earlier, um, many people believe that uh, took, uh, you know, thousands of years, millions maybe, who knows, even Christians. Many Christians today they will uh, believe that the creation was not in the six literal days, but uh, each day could be like a thousand years. Uh, And in the Bible refers to some of those aspects. My problem with that is if a day uh, took like a thousand years, then it was a thousand years of night and a thousand years of light. And uh, all, all the photosynthesis or all those things. I don't know how that works uh, from a scientific point of view. And that's one of the problems I have with the, with that sort of uh, interpretation. But uh, as uh, we read in the first account, you know, in Genesis, what God did in each day, the first, the second, third, and so on, and then said that everything was very good, and we mentioned that. It's very interesting to point out that God says, but in the seventh day, he rested. Now, that, that's very specific and special, because I don't believe God needed rest. But purposely, he rested on the seventh day, and I believe that was an example for the creation And uh, for the first uh, couple, Adam and Eve, to have that time, to have that connection with their creator, with God. And not only that God rested in the seventh day, but he sanctified it and blessed that seventh day. Very specific, very special. Len, if I I just turn into the book of Mark, chapter 2, for a moment, verse 27, it says, it said here, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. 
The other day I had a very lengthy discussion with a friend of mine who was very interested and uh, convinced that the seventh day, Sabbath, is the Sabbath day of the Bible, what God sanctified and put aside, you know. But the other night he shared with me that he is now confused because I believe, he said to me, while he read some of the statements from the forefathers, you know, of the Christianity, that we should keep the Lord's day, which is Sunday. And I was confused because I was trying to share with him that in the Bible, when the Bible says the Lord's day, that I believe refers to the Sabbath, not to the first day of the week. And many Christians today will argue that and will say, hey, we are keeping the first day of the week because that's the Lord's day. Actually, that's the resurrection day, which the Bible portrays is not the Lord's day. If we go in the Bible and study a little bit more, uh, you know, in depth, will understand that the Lord's day is the Sabbath. Even when John the Revelator, he said that I was in the Lord's day, in a vision, uh, I believe myself that that referred to the Sabbath. Yes, I've um, had quite some discussion with various people too about what you've been talking about, Nick, and most people accept the day of Jesus' resurrection as the Lord's day, but there is no identifier of the Lord's Day as far as that's concerned, but there is an identifier of the Sabbath as being the Lord's Day. One, of course, is Mark 2, 28, and the other is Isaiah 58, verse 13. There are one or two others, but there it's identified clearly that the Lord's Day is the seventh day of the week, the Sabbath. All right, well, let's move on a little. Brenton The seventh day of the week, as Nick has already ably said, was given the name Sabbath. As part of the Circuseptum life rhythm of work plus rest, the Sabbath had another dimension. And although Nick has alluded to this, perhaps you could explain it in a little more detail. Sure. Let me start by reading the verse, then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. So there's the first two things, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. This is Moses writing on the creation story and now um, summarising basically what has taken place. I think most of us know what blessed means. Another word for blessed, you find it mentioned, Len, in uh, Matthew when we're dealing with the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers. It means happy or joyful. Uh, sanctify means to make holy. What's important about this, whenever you discuss the issue of whether Saturday or Sunday is the day that we should keep holy, I think we need to bear in mind one thing. God set this day apart himself. He blessed it. He sanctified it. Adam and Eve didn't do that. God did it. So therefore, if we're going to discuss this particular issue, surely we need to look at Does God anywhere give us any clarity or any um, clues that he has changed his day that he set apart as holy? I think what's important um, in this text here, the word rest means Shabbat, S-H-A-B-A-T-H. In the Hebrew, it simply means to cease. This presupposes that God had reached a point in creation where Everything, as far as he was concerned, was complete. 
the animals were complete, the stars, the constellations in the heaven, the uh, flowers, the trees, the division of the water from the land, and lastly, but not least, man, that's male and female, all of it was complete. So I believe the reason God has given us the Sabbath, there are many, many reasons, but I think the major reason is to bring us back to remembering and to resting in the fact that what we are doing each Sabbath in spending time with God, we are remembering that the work that he did back then was complete and the work that he wants to do in us when we worship him on the Sabbath is also complete. We can have that rest that we've been talking about in all our Bible studies so far, we can have that rest each Sabbath if we if we refer firstly back to creation and secondly to the completeness of the salvation that is offered in Jesus. So it has a twofold aspect. This rest is something that our world, Len, desperately needs in 2021, particularly with all the COVID-19 issues we're dealing with. Yes, and I think that's um, fairly well recognised. But at the same time, I've also heard people talking about, well, as long as you have one day a week, yes, that's enough. But they fail to recognise that um, the seventh day of the week was hallowed and blessed. So although the sun gets up the same as it does every other morning, There's another dimension here, a God dimension, which is not applied to the other days. Yes, Nick. Len, I just want to add um, to that. Uh, My brother, he's an Orthodox, and um, he many times uh, talked to me about uh, the Sabbath day. And he said, hey, my Sabbath is Sunday, and um, yeah, your Sabbath may be Saturday. But I remember a discussion with him when he asked me why I cannot keep Sunday as you keep Saturday, uh, because we were at the farm, you know, working, and uh, on Sabbath day we ceased, myself, I ceased all the work. But he was still going on Sunday and see the fields and go to the markets and go to the other little businesses. He was not doing proper work, to say so, like to go and work like laboring, but he was still not keeping the day as he saw me keeping the Sabbath. And at that time, the only thing I could say to him was, I believe because I was not blessed and sanctified. Maybe that's why you cannot keep it holy as should be kept a Sabbath day. I believe that's very important for us all and for our listener to grasp that thing. If God blessed something, that remain blessed. Yes, and I think that's a very important point you've highlighted. Well, now, the Sabbath pops up in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11, as the fourth, and I would like to say the hinge point, of the Ten Commandments. Now, apart from the rest factor, Joe, what is to be the focus of the Sabbath? Interesting that you would say that, Len, apart from the rest factor. It is the rest factor, but it's because if we look at Exodus 28 to 11, I won't read it, but the focus on that 
because it's the, the giving of the law is done twice, once in Deuteronomy and once in Exodus. Now, the Exodus version, it reminds us, it says, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So here we have, as you said, a centerpiece. The Sabbath is central to the law of God. In it, it contains the authority of God and his jurisdiction and the fact that He, everything that we see and are was created by him. And so I think the rest factor comes from acknowledging God as the creator and um, that, that he exists, really, because people say, oh, God is dead, it doesn't exist. We are, we have this understanding, we can have that rest factor because it's linked to our understanding and reassurance that God exists because we exist. And, um, and of course it's, uh, it's linked to our redemption as well. If we can actually look at Deuteronomy 5.15. Now this is, this is given to the Israelites on the verge of entering the promised land. And they had been in the desert for 40 years. And Moses admonishes them, and as part of the commandment, he says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, in the first giving of the Ten Commandments, it reminds us, it says, remember, remember to keep the Sabbath. In Deuteronomy, it says, observe the Sabbath. And if we look at other versions, it tells us it's uh, in the contemporary English version, it says, show respect. Others say, observe or keep the Sabbath. And so it's, the idea is that we are, it's to remind us. Now, in the modern age, we might think, well, you know, we're not in Egypt, are we? This is a Jewish Sabbath. And of course, we know that it's not a Jewish Sabbath because as Brenton so beautifully read, out of Genesis, it predates any Jew. And so here we have our, a commemoration of our redemption, if you like, and I think Brenton has touched on that. But our rest factor is linked to our redemption from the tyranny of sin and death. So the Sabbath is a, an appointment in time when we can rest in the Sabbath knowing that God exists, that he created us, that he has he is concerned for our welfare, that he has redeemed us and given us hope from the tyranny, um, uh, you know, and anything that we may have to endure in this life, God has promised that will be it will come to an end and um, we will be saved. So uh, I guess that is part of the circus septum, that appointment with God, one day out of seven, not just any day, but the Sabbath which he had set apart as holy. Well, that was a very comprehensive answer, Joe, and I really liked what you had to say. Um, it should be pointed out that in the two versions of the Ten Commandments, which differ on a very minor thing, which you've already pointed out, the Exodus uh, talks about God as creator, and the Deuteronomy version talks about God as being deliverer. But also in the command to rest, it's not just us ourselves, but the people who are under our control. 
that we are not to expect anything of them that we are not allowed or not expected to do, which really, when you read it carefully, is a statement of human rights. You'd like to add something, Joe, and then Brenton. Yes, this is perhaps the only law that um, that even the slaves um, were given a day of rest and animals, which was, would have been unheard of, absolutely unheard of in those times. So this is way beyond, like way ahead of its time. Yes. Brenton? The interesting, one of the interesting things, Len, about this is that God called his people to be holy as he was holy. Now, this is really interesting because um, when you come to what Joe has just read, where he restates, and we need to emphasize this, the Ten Commandments were not given first on Sinai. The Ten Commandments predate that, but that's for a discussion that we'll have a bit further on. But what's important is that I see in God telling Israel that they are to be holy, they are to be a holy people unto me, I see a sense of recreation. So the creation story, in a sense, in the Sabbath is a story of recreation. God originally created the world. Satan wrecked it because Adam and Eve sinned. Now he's bringing a group of people, which we know as the Israelites, to himself. And he says, I want to set you apart as a holy people. You are to be holy unto me, just as I am holy. There's a real sense of recreation in that. So the creation story is being perpetuated in, in, I believe, the fourth commandment. Yes, very interesting comment. Well, listeners, we believe that man was created to share fellowship with God and provision was made for that to happen via the Sabbath. The Sabbath and creation go hand in hand. And it seems to me that any Christian who believes in evolution is an oddity, just as a creationist who does not honour the Sabbath, seems also to be an irregularity. Now, panel, in God's plan for mankind, what order did he institute in the rhythm of work and rest? Was it work, then rest, or rest first, then work? And the question implies something. Is that pattern significant? Just, just a thought to get the ball rolling. If we remember last week's lesson, now Elijah had a rest and nourishment, bread to sustain him for the mammoth journey. So he had a rest before his journey to Mount Horeb. So I guess rest comes before work. Okay. In that, in that case. Yes, Brandon. Just backing that up, uh, Len, is the fact that the very first day that Adam and Eve spent together as husband and wife was a rest day. Okay. Well, I would like to suggest this, and we'll come to you in a moment, Nick. I'd like to suggest that the Sabbath was made also for God and man to communicate. Yes. Is man freshly made? And the thing that man needed to know was to know God who made him on that day. Then after that, he can go about what else he had to do. Yes, Nick? It's also interesting to notice that in the creation account, 
when God says that in the first day did this and that, and then it says it was an evening and a morning. That was the first day or the second day and so on and so forth. It's very interesting in, in that concept that probably that was some sort of rest and work. Yes. Uh, we have a different time reference, but the time reference that God made was the new day began in the evening and finished in the evening rather than in the morning. Now, I know we in our day and age, we start at midnight, which is probably a, a strange marker in time when you think of it, but God made it evening to evening. That was the day. Brenton, you wanted to add something? Yes, just uh, in regard to the rest factor, Len, maybe God saw that it was necessary for us to reflect upon his works, including ourselves, because we're made in his image, before we go about our daily business. If if we had, for instance, a seven-day week where there was no specified day for rest, you know yourself, you're, you've been a businessman and other people on here have uh, and do work at jobs that require a lot of time frame. If you keep working seven days a week, 24-7, you will crack up. You'll crack up emotionally, you'll crack up physically. And I believe that God had a, had a rhythm here. The rhythm was to remember, first of all, that everything that we are about to do comes as a result of us being created in his image. He gives us the power to plan. He gives us the power to work. He gives us the power to worship. All of those things, I believe that's why he put it in the order that he did. Reflect first before you go about your business. Yes, it's um, probably in one way it's a, a little bit like saying plan first before you do. Yes. All right. Well, now, Nick... I know you've got something you'd like to share here. Yes, Len, we are uh, talking today, and particularly at this time now, uh, under this um, subtitle, let's say, The Command to Rest. Because when God created the Sabbath, the day of rest, and then we already mentioned that it was as a command given to his people, that's very significant, in my opinion, because it's not just, oh, up to you. If you want to do it, you can do it. If not, uh, so be it. This was a command. And all as all the commands, they were for our good, for our benefit. Now, creation may have been very good, you know, as uh, we mentioned so far. But it was not yet complete. Creation ended with God's rest and a special blessing on the seventh day, the Sabbath. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Now, the Sabbath is part and a a parcel of God's creation. In fact, it is um, the culmination of God's creation. God made rest and created a space for community where humanity, in those days, uh, just the core family of uh, Adam and Eve, could stop their day-to-day activities and rest side by side with their creator. And I wonder why today, in a 24-7 
rhythm, people don't find time for proper rest and not just to put aside, let's say, 24 hours, but to have that connection with the God of rest. Yes, that's very important. I've heard the statement once about children being exposed to many adult themes while their children are still young. And uh, the statement was, let a child be a child while it is a child. Yes. And I think here uh, this is similar with uh, humanity that God gives us opportunity to assess ourselves and to recognize that we are created beings rather than work our guts out all the time. Excuse the uh, crude expression, but I think most people will have heard it. Yes, Brendan. Um, Len, this is really interesting, what, what we're uh, talking about at the moment, because you and I know and the rest of our panel knows that the world that perhaps we originally were born into and the world that we're in now, we have so many more gadgets and, and um, electronic devices and technology has moved on to such a degree that allegedly we are getting more and more devices to give us more and more time for rest and yet our lives seem to become more and more stressed. Um, it's interesting that the more gadgets you've got, the less rest you actually get. Um, we have actually instituted down here in our church, and I'm going to mention it, we have actually instituted games evenings where people are not to bring their mobile phones along and all their uh, games that they play and that sort of thing, and we just play some good old-fashioned games. It gives us a chance to get to know one another rather than having a number of fingers continually uh, pressing buttons on a mobile phone or on an iPad. And isn't it interesting that God says you need this time to spend with me? The more and more gadgets you get are not going to guarantee you more rest, but you need to, I think, take a break, look at uh, what I have made, how many people spend any time looking at what God has really made? Because when you really do look at um, yesterday, I went for a walk around a reservoir, watched the fish swim, the ducks swim. It was restful. And I believe that that type of rest is embodied in Sabbath rest, but it can also be embodied any time you need a break. Going for a good walk out in the sunshine and under the trees is a really restful and calming factor. All right. Well, now, Exodus chapter 16 is um, referring to the incident where God provided manna for the Israelites on their journey between Egypt and Canaan. And, Will, there's a number of questions which uh, I think some of our listeners will probably be wondering about. First of all, were the Ten Commandments known before Sinai? Yes, Cain was condemned for uh, committing murder. Yeah. And uh, I also recall that uh, it's not a Jewish Sabbath, as Brenton and Joe had pointed out. It was instituted long before there was a Hebrew nation. So were the Ten Commandments known before Sinai? The answer is absolutely yes. Yes, all right. And uh, I've seen a list of different verses showing that. Well, now, did God provide manna for the Israelites on Sabbath? God set the example of not providing manna on the Sabbath so that the people could know that it was a special day set apart. So 
No, he didn't. He didn't provide manna on the Sabbath. And it would be really good for you to um, read Exodus chapter 16, listeners, because uh, these questions um, don't actually cover the whole thing. And it's a very interesting um, story to read. Now, Will, what was Moses' reaction when people disregarded God's instructions about not saving manna through the week? Well, there were clear instructions that the Sabbath was there for a rest. And um, the Bible tells us um, in one simple sentence, verse 20 of Exodus 16, that uh, Moses became angry with them. They disregarded um, um, God's command not to collect Sabbath, and they couldn't uh, pick it up on, on a Sabbath. All right. Now, Joe, you wanted to something here? I think it's worth noting that, um, Exodus 16 comes before Exodus 20. So the Sabbath issue involved with the collection of manna actually predated the giving of the law. So he expected them to know about the Sabbath before he'd actually given them the law. Yes, that's so, a good point. All right. Now, what did the Lord say when the people went out on the Sabbath with the intention of collecting the manna? Well, Verse 28 of Exodus 16, Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? The Lord, the Lord was deeply disappointed by their uh, by them not obeying his command. All right. Well, God was most unhappy. Now, the last question I want to ask you here is, in what ways does giving of the manna relate to the giving of the Sabbath? We recognize uh, underlying the giving of uh, the of the manna and comparing it to the creation of the Sabbath, that God in both cases is the provider, is the creator, and um, as a great reminder of his being the deliverer as well. Each day, God gives the people the gift of food, important for physical life. Each week, he gives them the Sabbath, the gift of the Sabbath, important for spiritual life. Both the Sabbath and provision of the manna are symbolic, I believe, of the giving of God's grace. That's really something, isn't it? That God provided for the needs of the people in giving of the manna, and God provides for the needs of the people in the giving of the Sabbath. Yes, Nick? I just want to add here also, again, from my, uh, um, you know, farmer background, uh, it was very common. And I believe also here we can hear that sort of thing. When the harvest comes, it's a 24-7 activity. Now, back home, even though we are um, farmers, on the Sabbath day, we left everything aside. And even though it's in the middle of the harvest, we wouldn't not... we would not go on a Sabbath day to harvest things just because it was a better day than other days. We just left it there. And God always provided. That was very important just to connect with the manna, uh, how God gave them instructions not to collect the manna on the Sabbath day or not to collect more manna that they needed for each day of the week. Again. 
for us all, it's important to understand that God provides. Many times we are thinking that, hey, we have to go to work on Sabbath. Maybe we work in a, in some um, jobs which will excuse ourselves and say, oh, that requires my presence. If you are faithful to what God commanded, God will provide everything. And I would like to add a short story to that too, Nick. In my student days, I used to go up into the Riverland and pick apricots. And one summer, there was a heat wave coming, and it was a heat wave. It was about 47 degrees, and we were picking apricots. We had acres and acres of apricots uh, trees. Anyhow, Friday afternoon came, and... uh, We had prayed about this, and so before the Sabbath began, work stopped. On the Sabbath afternoon, I got on my push bike and I rode down the road leading to the block where I was working. There were apricots everywhere. It was stinking hot and really windy. But when we came to the orchard where I was working, there was hardly an apricot on the ground. And I believe that God honoured the people who honoured him by keeping the Sabbath. Now, I thought I saw a hand there before. Yes, Brenton. Um, Interesting on the, thank you, Len, for sharing that. I I wonder whose uh, fruit block you were on. You weren't on Reuben Popkeys, were you? (laughs) Not Reuben Popkeys, no. (laughs) Um, It's interesting that um, when you talk about uh, the manna, God gave the manna each day. He gave them enough for the day. As Nick has touched on, he didn't give them manna for the week. He gave them manna for the day. So each day he provided their needs. Now, Jesus has actually reflected on this. We all know the Lord's Prayer. What is one of the things that the Lord's Prayer says? Give us this day our daily bread. As we, <laughs> And so God supplies our needs each day. I think God was teaching them in the wilderness that they were totally reliant on him day by day, and in his wisdom he saw fit to supply them for their needs just for that day. The same applies in 2021. If you want to make an application, the spiritual food, the physical food that we eat today supplies us for today. It doesn't supply us for tomorrow, and tomorrow we again, are reliant on the Lord for all his blessings. And I think God, in giving them the manna, was trying to teach them this lesson, that they are relying upon him, not for the week, for the month or the year. They are relying on him day by day. Thank you. Well, in the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath command, in both Exodus and Deuteronomy, start by saying, remember, keep or observe. And both counts give similar instructions to refrain from everyday work by resting. Both give reasons for observing the Sabbath. What do you think of observing the Sabbath by only resting, like staying in bed all the time, Ken? Ma'am, I'd actually like to quote this Exodus 20 because I I do believe actually many people don't actually know it. So I'm reading Exodus 20, starting in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter, 
nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We clearly see here that the seventh day is not only a rest day, but a holy day dedicated to God. Therefore, we are to put all worldly things aside and meet with other Christians. As it says in Hebrews 10 and verse 25, let us not neglect meeting together, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. So we are to spend time with God, reading his word and having fellowship with our Christian friends, singing hymns and enjoying a break from all work, because as God has said, it is a holy day. And I'd also like to add an important verse in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12. Also, I give them my Sabbath as a sign between us, so they would know that I am the Lord that made them holy. And I see there's a, I believe there's a number of inter- interesting points in this, in these verses. Thank you, Ken. Well, the Sabbath is part of the creation. And who does the Bible say is the creator? And is this significant? Brenton, I'm sure you can answer this. Yes, it is significant, Len. Uh, in three sections of Scripture, John 1, verse 1 to 3, Colossians 1, 16, Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, Jesus Christ, God the Word, is described as being the person through whom creation was made. I'm going to read one of those three rather than the three of them. I'll read Colossians 1 and verse 16. For by him, and it's talking about Christ, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. So Christ, the Son of God, was, we would say, the creating agent. We all know that all members of the Godhead were present at the creation, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But Christ was the creating agent. And if you think about that in logical terms, Len, Christ could say, I am the resurrection and the life. He could only make that statement if he was the creator in the first place. All right, thank you. Now, Will, in what ways does the Lord say the Sabbath, that's God's holy day, should be kept? Key text is Isaiah 58, verse 13, which says, If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the day, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Clearly, there is a very strong indication here of how we are to keep the Sabbath. May I point out that when Jesus called his disciples apart with a special invitation saying, come ye apart and rest a while, is very likely was not only affording them the opportunity to relax muscles from arduous walking for hours, or from from busily caring for the multitudes that followed him, 
it seems clear that apart from physical rest, he was offering them spiritual refreshment as well. In other words, being revived in his, by his presence. You know, if we think carefully about this, you remember Adam? He had just come from the hand of his creator, as we have said, with his muscles vibrant and ready for action, poised for exertion. But surprisingly, God calls him to rest before putting his body to work. His uh, greatest need is not physical rest. Instead, he is, to, he is asked to rest in communion with his creator on the Sabbath day first, before more, becoming more acquainted with God. And then, Lennon panel and listener, then he was to proceed to apply himself to the assigned responsibilities he had for the first week, his first week on earth. Now, if I may, just back to Jesus offering his disciples rest from their labors, it occurs to me that they would have benefited not only from rested muscles, but spiritual rejuvenation through being in the company of the great teacher and their God. Jesus would use these restful moments to reignite the spark of devotion and spiritual zest in preparation for the particularly difficult days again. Now, if I may, fast forward to today. When Jesus calls us to keep the Sabbath and rest, I might respond, well, I haven't walked many kilometers and cared for a multitude or even been particularly worn out by physical activity. I even have a no-pressure job or am I retired? I don't need a day of rest or to come apart for physical regeneration. But the question is, or do I? I might argue that if I am called to rest, then fine, don't really exert myself if I sit and watch movies all day and uh, on God's holy day of rest or catch up on television or some football, or even perhaps I could say I could sleep the whole Saturday. But am I missing something in the invitation to come apart and rest a while? Is not our Lord also offering me spiritual spark to, the, to top up the deeper needs of my soul? My focus should then be on him spending time with him, listening to his counsel, not idle inactivity without regeneration. You know, I believe that for this reason, the Sabbath is not my opportunity to spend catch-up time on watching sport or surfing the internet or chatting to a score of friends on social media, becoming so engrossed in what I am doing that the Lord is standing there, as it were, the invitation still applicable, waiting for me to come apart, spend some time with him, and leave with a soul sparking again like a topped-up battery. God wants us to meet with him and be spiritually regenerated on the Sabbath. He doesn't ask us to just physically switch off for the day. Okay, thank you, Will. Uh, you read from Isaiah 58, verse 13, one of the ways people should keep the Sabbath is in calling it a delight. And I'm just thinking about my own experience. I think Sabbath is the day I look forward to more than any because it is a d delight. Now, we must um, finish here, but I'd like to share this with you. According to what the Scriptures teach, the Circus Septum seven-day rhythm of life is more than just six days on and one day off. 
To get the full benefit, as Will was saying, the rest day is to be a worship day. Not only do we receive personal benefits by observing this Sabbath in the manner as outlined in the scriptures, but the environment benefits as well because consumption of environmental resources is minimalized. The day of rest is now recognized by environmentalists and others as being very beneficial for the planet. However, the ultimate benefit of observing the Sabbath is in contemplation and communion with him who created the Sabbath day of rest for us. Well, that's the end of our study, but before we leave you, we would like to share in prayer. So, Joe, would you lead us in prayer? Dear Father, thank you for this, this wonderful study. We thank you for the Sabbath, a sign of true rest, not just physical rest, but emotional and spiritual, a rest from fretting about our problems, a rest from our restlessness and uneasiness over the future, a time to be spiritually recharged and rejuvenated, a special time to spend with you, a time to reconnect and recenter our priorities away from the superficial but to, and to things that matter. You are our creator, you are our father, provider and saviour. Be with each one of us and our listeners as we contemplate these things and draw us ever closer to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, everyone, for uh, participating today in this um, great discussion. We are uh, approaching today a bit more the rhythms of rest. But I'll invite you next time when we are going to talk more specifically about Sabbath rest. And we alluded to quite a few things about how important it is to have that connection with God, if you like, a celebration with God because of his creation. And we'll see, particularly in the fourth commandment, when God says, remember to keep the Sabbath holy, because God is the one who created heavens and earth. Please join us next time when we'll be able to uh, open it up a little bit more to understand how important it is the Sabbath rest. I hope that until then, you may enjoy a Sabbath rest. God bless you.